Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham, sponsored by NordVPN. Joining me as ever, it's Alistair Gold. Ali, how are you? I'm all right, I'm all right. I'm running on fumes a little bit because I made the daft, well, slightly daft decision to stay up and watch the Super Bowl last night, which then went into overtime. So sleep wasn't much of an option last night for me, but it's fine. Talking about Tottenham will uh, keep me going and uh, the adrenaline will will see me through because, yeah, we've got a really exciting, dramatic victory to talk about. And I think a lot of the knock-on effects and, and what it means for various players, Postacoglu and a lot more. Yeah, it very much was the late, late show at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Saturday. We've seen a number of late goals uh, in N17 already this season and uh, it was Brendan Johnson, 96-minute winner uh, to get Tottenham a 2-1 win over Brighton. It looked like it was going to finish a 1-1 draw with Spurs just not really creating much in those final 15 or 20 minutes, but... Brilliant piece of play from, I think it was James Madison, Richarlison and Son. Son on his return to the team. What a ball across the face of goal for Brendan Johnson, who just had the uh, simple job of uh, tapping it in. It was. It was a world-class ball, that across. I mean, that was how Foster Cogler referred to it. And I think in the moment, I just kind of thought, oh, that's good. He's slung it across. That's a decent pass. And then I've watched it from various angles. The kind of precision required to get it right onto Brennan Johnson's foot is just remarkable. I mean, it's a good run from Brennan Johnson. He's done exactly what they want him to do. He's got in there. But my word, to that is what, you know, Spurs have missed with Sonny being away. That is that ridiculous level of quality that he brings to the team in those uh, big kind of important moments. And yeah, it was a brilliant goal. And that was the irony of it, is the kind of football that I think Postacoglu had been tearing his hair out through the game trying to get from his team. And they pull it out in the biggest of moments right when they needed it. And, you know, it needs to be, I guess, a lesson in itself for them, that the Postacoglu football will bring the results for them. They've just got to trust it even more. I think, I think they kind of do, or we felt we, they have, but I do feel that at times during matches in, in last couple recently, they've just been getting away from it a little bit. Um, and this was another kind of example that it pays big dividends for them. And in front of that South stand as well. I feel like every time I'm sat in that press box and there's something big happens at the end, I'm turning right. George Sessions from PA told, said that to me. He said, don't you feel like we're always looking to the right when there's a big moment happens late in a Spurs game? And it is. It's... Um, there seems to be, I don't know whether it's deliberate or not, it, it probably is from like when they're kind of doing the toss at the start of a game um, and, and deciding who kind of goes at which end, whether you, uh, presumably, you would always try to pick to head towards that game, that end of the stadium, you know, in the second half, because purely for moments like that, um, yeah, James Madison was going on about that stand and the noise that comes from it and what it's like to celebrate in front of it when you get a moment like that, although he was too knackered to even make it to the celebrations, he admitted. Um, it was a brilliant goal, like you say. The four sons involved, uh, Madison, Richarlison, Son and Johnson. <laughs> Sounds weird to say. Um and yeah, yeah, fantastic end to a game, which I think on the balance of play, they deserve to win. I thought Brighton played very well, but I would say they did so without much threat. That's the only thing I would say. Um, they obviously had a couple of shots early on from Welbeck and Matoma, scored their penalty, which was essentially Spurs gifting them the ball with a silly kind of bit of play from both Benton Cora and Van der Ven. But then after that, I'm trying to remember if Vicaro had another save to make. I don't think he did. Whereas Spurs had 16 shots at goal. I think Brighton had six, I think it was. So, yeah, I would say on the balance of play, Spurs deserved it. But it still wasn't quite the fluent performance that, you know, we want to see at this stage in the season. And to be fair to Postacoglu, he keeps saying this to the players. It's all very well saying we've got all our star players back or, or the big names. We've got the good players back and all this sort of stuff. I'm not saying the players before were rubbish, but it was more he's able to rotate and the competition's there. But they can't rely on that. They've still got to go out and do the job. They've actually got to show why they're the good players. They're the players that should be starting games. Um, and I felt like only, only a couple of them really shone um, on Saturday. But ultimately, they got the job done. Yeah, they did. Uh... I thought Spurs just edged it as well. Yeah. Uh, I think 
if it was a draw, you'd go, right, fair enough, fair result, maybe. Uh, just watching it back, though, thought Brighton probably had the better of the game for the first 30 minutes or so. Yeah. And then probably after the substitutions as well, that triple Spurs. Yeah. So, it didn't really work uh, the subs to begin with. It was interesting. I think Spurs were okay for a few minutes after, but you'd thinking it would just give him a further boost to go on and get that second goal, but that didn't prove to be the case up until the 96th minute. Uh, but nah, Brighton are a good team, aren't they? I mean, let's be honest, it's about what, very good six, seven weeks ago since we're at the Amex and the scored four against Spurs. And yeah. in all honesty, could have scored more than four that day Absolutely. because we've not seen a team cut Spurs to ribbons like uh, Brighton did. Uh, they were very, very impressive. So to claim three points against Brighton, it's big. It's big in the top four battle. And uh, then in Ange's press conference on Friday, one of the talking points was conceding that late goal at Everton. Spurs have conceded a number of late goals throughout the season. But he did also mention, yeah, we might concede late goals but we also score late goals just because of the style of football, and that proved to be the point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think some people kind of took that quite badly. I saw on social media, they, they weren't happy with that quote, but I kind of understood what he means. And there is a certain irony that last season, we were all, and, and previous seasons, we were all bemoaning the fact that Spurs would sit back late in, late in games, invite pressure on themselves, and concede just obvious predictable goals that we kind of knew were coming whereas now Spurs have got a manager who's like I absolutely want to do the opposite of that I want to keep attacking 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 until those final seconds when the whistle is blown because the old cliche the best form of defense is attack if the ball's at the end of the pitch you're not putting yourself under pressure of course you can have counter-attacks but it's quite funny it's kind of what the Spurs fans wanted last season, but now they've got it. It's scary and it's terrifying. It's like, oh no, I don't know if I actually wanted that or not. Um, and I do find that fascinating. And, and and looking back at the the kind of the goals that they've uh, they they've conceded as well, it's quite interesting because yeah, a lot was made about the fact that they've conceded eight late goals. It's more than anyone else in the Premier League. But actually, the bulk of those are either consolation goals for the other team when Spurs were already wet ahead. Or they were for uh, two of them at a Chelsea game when they were already 2-1 down and Chelsea scored a couple of late ones. Um, and the others, yeah, I think I think I read, uh, looking at some of the stats, it's only two late goals that have actually cost them points out of those eight. Um, obviously, against a certain team um, at Goodison Park. And what was the other one? Was it Wolves, the other one? I think. Yes, yes that would it will be Wolves, have been. Wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's just those two games, whereas at the other end of the pitch, they've actually uh, scored five now in the 90th minute or later, which has brought in eight extra points. So they've lost five from two late goals, but they've actually helped themselves to eight extra points by scoring five at the other end. So it's kind of, it's one of those where it's, it, it's balanced in the right way at the moment. Uh, and I would say that some of those late goals, they have been a bit of a tension um, issues and not seeing out games and concentration. That is something that I think uh, will be improved upon. It is still This is the big thing that I think it's so easy to get away from. Spurs are a work in progress. They just really are. I think we've kind of all of us um, got a little bit carried away with some of the performances and how exciting they can be. And sometimes it just makes us forget. I'm lumping you in this as well, probably quite unfairly. But um, yeah, it's like they've only been well, so six months of the season, eight months or so of possibly working with them. But then you look at Brighton and, and their patterns of play yesterday, uh, sorry, Saturday were just phenomenal some of them you know the way they know exactly where they're going to be from one moment to the next and that's not only because Deserby's had another like probably year or so on top that Postacoglu hasn't had but also he was building upon the foundations and he hates this the Italian whatever it said but it's true he was building on the foundations of not only Potter uh, but also a club that has that kind of style of football that's the way it plays so it was an easier um, that's easier because not that he's going to hear this, but a, a more, a less uh, friction um, kind of uh, heavy transformation. Whereas for Postacoglu, 
he was just like night and day what he was trying to do compared to previous ways of playing at the club in the last three, four years or so. So, yeah, they are going to be a little bit of a step behind. But like you say, to still come out and, and beat the likes of Brighton and with a goal that was top draw as well, it just it kind of fuels the progression. It fuels the development and the growth. And like I said earlier, makes them understand that if they play that way that he wants them to, because he was very unhappy at half time. He was unhappy after the game. That's probably the the most disappointed I've seen him after a win so far. He was really annoyed with the way they went about it in the first half and the way they came away from the football that he wants to play. Uh, and in his words, kept taking liberties on and off the ball was how he put it. Um, and you could see that. I mean, Bentancur, who we'll, we'll talk about in his fitness and, and his sharpness, you know, there are a few times when Bentancur was not the Bentancur we know. You know, he was giving the ball away in daft positions and it wasn't through trying to play a progressive fast ball either. It was kind of just dallying a bit with the ball in positions when he shouldn't be. And there were a few times when Postacoglu was going mad on the touchlines. But they got there in the end. And and uh, it's another positive moment for them. And they're back in the top four. Um, and there's so much to work on in a good way as well. Yeah, it, it was a slow start, it's fair to say. And Spurs could have been behind after 45 seconds. It was yeah. Mickey van der Ven caught on the ball. Brighton, uh, it was Danny Welbeck who managed to, you know, go upfield, caught onto his left and Guglielmo Bacarios, you know, made the really good save. Uh, for Brighton's first goal, I know a lot will probably be pointing fingers at Benteke for losing it where he did. I don't think it's the best passes from Mickey no. van der Ven. Vicario uh, no, did the same to him as well soon after. Yeah, They're both yeah. dodgy balls. Yeah. Just because the way he's facing, I don't think he can see what's coming over his left shoulder and then behind yeah. him as well. And then uh, for that one you mentioned with Vicario, Benteke's stationary where he is. He's got a player behind him who's got the momentum just running and can just nick the ball off him. I don't think he was held, but the, it was a penalty. Uh, van der Ven yeah. did clip uh, Welbeck in. Good penalty from Gross as well. Uh, dispatched it, but it could have been a lot worse for Spurs given Mitoma had an opportunity as well. What uh, Vicario saved, but thankfully that wasn't the case come the full-time whistle. Yeah, I mean, the Mitoma one, I would say it was from a tight angle. Yeah. I wouldn't say it was, you know, it could have been a more dangerous chance. I don't think in the end it actually was. Um, but definitely, yeah, they they had those early moments. Um, and they just, the possession stats showed it. It was the closest I think it's been in a Spurs home game for a long time. I think it was something like Spurs had 52% of the possession. And I think they were only about 40, 50 passes apart on the number of passes they made. Whereas we're used to Spurs being so far ahead in both possession and the pass count. And that showed what a quality team Brighton are. Even with De Zerbi not there, we didn't get, you know, the excitement on the touchline that we had last time he was at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. He was not only suspended, but I think he was also getting some kind of dental surgery yeah. or something back in Italy. So he was kind of missing entirely. Although there was some suggestion, I think, from his assistant that he was involved in the subs in the second half. He was calling through a bit like uh, I think Conte did on on a couple of occasions when he couldn't be there. But um, yeah, I, I'm, yeah, going back to the, the, the triple change, the, the substitutions, which, you know, on the face of it, and, and it ended up being uh, kind of a match winning change eventually. But, you know, that's a big thing for Spurs was being able to bring on Son Johnson and Basuma, which, you know, that's probably, I don't know, pushing 150, 175 million pounds worth of talent there, if not more. Uh, which is obviously not something that Postacoglu's had. I did feel that, because he was going to bring them on before the goal, and then Pat Matasar obviously scored a really nice goal, um, and he still brought them on. And I did feel like it disrupted their rhythm after that. I think they'd got into the little head of steam that had brought the goal, and they were a bit like, oh, okay. And like Kudusevsky, who'd played quite well, had come off for that. And, and it, yeah, I did feel it kind of impacted them for a little while. They lost their shape. He had to. He was going to bring on um, Hoybier and Skip, which went down, as you can imagine, on social media when I tweeted that they were both about to come on, um, because just and it was purely because the shape was lost. Brighton were running the midfield for that kind of 10, 15 minute or so period in that second half, um, and it was only because Udogi got, I think, wiped out by 
Romero, if I remember, in a sliding tackle in the box. Um, so he ended up getting a little bit of an issue that brought him off and Davies had to come on instead of skip. Otherwise, you would have seen both midfielders come on. Um, but it did help with the shape. They found a little bit of shape back to their midfield especially. Um, and yeah, and it, and it eventually led to the to the goal coming down that left-hand side. Um, yeah, it was a funny game. It was one of those where Madison said afterwards, like he longs for a comfortable 3-0 win. <laughs> it would just be amazing. But there's no denying that a late dramatic win like that does something for morale. It does something for the bond between the fans and the players. And it does something for the character and belief that regardless of being five or six minutes into added time, you've still always got a chance with this Tottenham team. And I think that is an important thing. And also an important thing about being at home, I guess, as well, and that stadium and being a, a place where they'll, they're going to win more matches. They're going to even draw or lose, definitely. Um, but yeah, there was a, there were a few positives. One young man in the midfield for me stood out. and uh, I'll let you kick off about Pat Matasar. Yeah, I think it was always going to be the case. He was going to come back into the Tottenham team. I'd seen ahead of kickoff some, obviously, uh, Spurs fans and that had been making the predictions. And I think a couple had maybe left Saar out and gone for Basuma and Benteker. And I always thought Saar, for me, he's got to be one of the first names on the team sheet. And it's about 12 months ago now since uh, we were at the San Siro to watch his midfield masterclass yeah. against AC Milan uh, on his European debut for Spurs. And his growth over the past year has been incredible. Uh, he's gone from someone who was on the periphery of the team and maybe in the January, you're thinking maybe could head out on loan again just because he's not getting a look in under Antonio Conte. And even though he performed so well in the San Siro, his minutes were limited after that. But Postacoglu's seen something in him and he's given him a prime spot in this Tottenham team. And yeah, he's one of the first names on the team sheet. I think people probably going for once Benteke's back fit is Benteke, Basuma, Madison. But you can't leave Saar out. He's been absolutely yeah. magnificent and had a big, big say on the game with... Uh, the equaliser, really good run from him. I mean, there was a gaping hole in that Brighton backline, but fantastic ball from Dane Kulaseski uh, to pick him out. He's obviously tried to square it to Richarlison. He's come back to him and he's finished it well. He just gives Spurs so much energy, uh, dynamism as well. His box-to-box style, tactically as well, very good. <laughs> he's just such a good player. And said it a few months ago on the podcast, he should be in the running for Premier League Young Player of the Year. Whether or not yeah. he is, I don't know, because I imagine it will be the usual names who'll be up uh, for the top award. But given the way he's been playing this season, Pat Matasar is only going one direction in his career. He's going up and up. There's still so much more to come from him. I think he's just a fantastic, fantastic player. He is. There's a reason they call him Starboy within the club. That's his little nickname among the players because they just all believe he's going to become a superstar. And, you know, Postacoglu, it was in pre-season. On, on the tour, we kind of very quickly got the sense that Postacoglu had absolutely fallen for him. He just loved everything about his game. I think he realised this young man fits the number eight role for me like a glove, although Postacoglu will tell you there's no such thing as number sixes and eights, and he doesn't want anyone talking about that sort of stuff, um, unless it's him. Um, but yeah, Saar is, is he's incredible. There were so many times I was sat in the press box and just be like, ooh, he kind of that noise that we used to make with Tongi, he he does a lot of those moments. Um, and yeah, very different player to Tongi, of course. But um, yeah, he's he's gonna be something special. And and it's at both ends of the pitch as well. That's the beauty of it, is he's not someone that looks for the Hollywood moments, the big kind of passes or goal scoring moments, even though he did score. He's about the work ethic as well and his drive and his kind of ridiculous like the battery that you must have within him that allows him to just get up and down the pitch constantly. Um, supporting and, and you'll often notice that when someone's out of position he'll drop into that position to help them out and, and cover for them 
Um, he's got a good cross on him as well. He links up well down the right with Porro or whoever the, the right winger would be at that time, or it's Kuseski or Johnson. Um, very tactically intelligent, like you say. And yeah, he's, he must be a dream to work with as a coach because not only is he this kind of lovely, bubbly character that everyone gets on with, uh, but he also gives everything in every training session. You're not going to see him just kind of his levels fall off because he thinks he's made it or or he just kind of wants to have a laugh with the lads kind of thing. He's just got this drive. And I think there was a nice little interview with him in the match day program on Saturday. And it kind of that really came across. It, he's had to kind of fight and battle throughout his career. Again, another player that Postcoglu will love because of that. He loves a fighter and he's had to do that. And, and you know, I think we said it at the time, having the experience, while it wasn't great for Mets, but for him of being in a team constantly kind of battling throughout that season when he went back on loan and eventually getting relegated was good for him. It was really good for his development to know what it, what kind of fights you have to have in a scenario like that. And, and you know, it was, it was despite his best efforts that they went down because he really gave them a shot in those last couple of months with some of his performances were superb. Um, but it has, it served him well. And, and also the Conte season of not really playing, you know, being a, having to fight behind the scenes to get noticed um, and then battle when Postacoglu came in to show him what he could do. It all creates the player that you've got now and he's still 21. That is obscene how, you know, how much more growth he's still got to, to go as well. Um, and he is very popular. And his interview was very much talking about the future and, and the real long term as well. He wants to stay here for as long as possible, was his words. He wants to win trophies at the club, um, wants to score more goals as well. He said he knows he's missed a few that he could have done better with. Um, but he's done all right. I mean, he scored in back-to-back -back starts, the Spurs, um, both at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium as well. Uh, he scores in big moments. So he scored against Man U, didn't he, in, early in the season as well. Um, yeah, he's... Uh, He's a phenomenal young player. And, and like you said, young player of the year, he really should be up there. Um, absolutely. Um, I don't see why not either. I mean, he's played 20, 21 times in the Premier League this season. I think he's got three goals, two assists. But that's just like scratching the surface of what he brings to the pitch as well. Um, I think I read that He's second only to Hoybier in ball recoveries as well in the midfield, and it just shows how hard he works. Um, yeah, I think I'd be intrigued to see kind of as his English comes along, whether we get kind of more interviews with him actually with the media rather than the club stuff. Um, because yeah, that's that's probably the next step for him in, in com completely adapting to the new league and country. But he's doing absolutely fine as it is. He, he's doing very well. And then after Sars goal, we had the triple substitution, Brendan Johnson, Son and Yves-Bissouma coming off. And as we'd mentioned earlier in the pod, it did just seem to disrupt the rhythm of the game. And you're thinking straight after that goal, you just want them to keep going and keep going because mm -hmm. I'd probably say Spurs ended the first half well, the final 15, uh, 10 minutes or so. And then the start of the second half well, uh, I thought some good play. Then Kuloseski was involved a lot, lot more. Yeah. Uh, there's just times where you just want him to be a bit more selfish, a bit more decisive, especially in the first half. I think they had an opportunity to get a shot away on goal, but instead elected to pass the ball and it was cut out. And I think he was certainly more direct in the second half and that obviously led to Sars goal. Uh, Kuloseski, I think, unfortunate to come off at that time, mm -hmm. given how we'd done in those first 15 minutes of the second half. But, you know, in the end, the, the subs worked. And I think when you're just looking at the bench, it was a hell of a lot different to what it was like two, three months ago away at Man City. I'd done a piece on it after the game, basically saying that Man City, I think it was three youngsters, two goalkeepers on the bench, a couple of, you know, senior players and very much all change against Brighton. And, it was Brian Hill and Dane Scarlett who got left out. Got Giovanni La Celsa to come back. You'd think he'll be back this week for Wolves with another yeah. week under his belt uh, on the training pitch. And so potentially it might be like Oliver Skip, someone like that, who's now gone to miss out. And yeah. it's such a crucial time in the season. You know, Man City and Liverpool have had this previously with their squads. 
they can just bring on these great, great players on from the bench because the squads are that good. And Spurs do look to be heading that way at the moment, but fingers crossed it's just about keeping these players fit and firing because unfortunately that's just not been the case for Spurs this season. But in terms of the squad now, I think Ange said in his pre-match, he's not seen the squad as healthy uh, as it is at present. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I asked him after the game about just this ability to now have game-changing subs, which he just didn't have before. And he kind of harkened back to the start of the season. He said, we scored quite a few kind of late goals early in the season. We're able to change games towards the ends of matches because the bench was so much stronger then. Um, And it is kind of a big part of his system and play as well, that players are going to be tired um, and he, he needs them to keep pressing high up the pitch. So to be able to you know, bring on a whole load of subs from 60 minutes on is very much part of his kind of way of doing things. Um, and yeah, he, he's not going to be a guy that, you know, we saw sometimes on the Conte. Conte just didn't trust his bench and he would sometimes bring on one, if maybe no subs. Whereas with Postacoglu, I'd imagine it, you'll mostly see him bring on four to five subs in every game. You know, he'll try to bring on all of them if he can, just just to keep those fresh legs and, and to keep them doing... Because in his mind he feels like regardless of who the player is, as long as they're doing what he's telling them to do, the system will work. And if you have fresh legs in it, it will, it will bring the results. So yeah, it, it was, um, it was interesting to see the three subs. And I did feel like other than the Kudusescu one being a bit harsh on him, they were kind of the right subs to make. Um, Werner had struggled a bit. I felt his final ball was a bit inconsistent there were a couple of nice little runs, but he gets the end of it and then would kind of waste the opportunity. Again, early days for him. You know, you can't really kind of pile in on him because he's he's got to learn the system and everything. But definitely there's going to be more to come from him on that um, part. Um, and Benton Kerr, look, Benton Kerr, I absolutely agree with you that I think some of those moments where he lost the ball in the first half were just as much to do with the ball to his feet, which wasn't great. But, yeah, I don't think we can get away from the fact he's not the Benton Core yet that we know. I think he will be. Um, I see some people trying to claim that he's done. I finished. It's like, what has happened? What has happened to the world of football fandom? It's just crazy. Um, You know, I wrote this in my piece, in my talking points after the game, is the sports science staff within the club made it kind of quite clear while he was coming back or towards the end of his rehabilitation from the cruciate ligament injury, that you weren't going to see the best of him this season. You're just not. It's just the way those long-term, especially cruciate ligament injuries work, and he would be back to his best, like real top form, probably next season, 24-25 season. Um, and I think we all got a little bit overexcited about the Villa performance before he got the ankle injury because he was phenomenal in that game. But I would say that that aside, everything else, and, and I don't think you can also remove the fact that he's had another quite big injury straight afterwards and what that does to your body. But I don't think we can really get away from the fact that the guy's played just over 500 minutes in a year. You know, of course he's not going to be at the same level he was before. Of course his body's going to have to kind of uh, re-educate itself really on doing a lot of the things he naturally would have done as a footballer. Um, It's going to have to strengthen. He's going to have to get more confidence in certain things that he does. It's just a natural thing. Uh, but yeah, that did make me chuckle when I saw some people saying he was done. <laughs> he was like, "Okay, <laughs> that's what we're doing now. We're just, we're just, we're just ruling them out for the rest of their career now. At whatever he is, twenty six, is he? It's just like incredible. Um, now he'll be a massive player for Spurs in the years to come. But I do wonder at the moment. Uh, it's a question to you: Does he, for the next couple of games, maybe do a bit like what Brendan Johnson's done and just have to sit and? watch the game from a different perspective and get his sharpness back through moments rather than starting? Or does Postacoglu kind of play him through it? Uh, for me, he needs a bit of a breather on the bench. Uh, I I said it on a couple of pods ago, either probably drops him down to the bench for the Everton game because uh, he looked like he needed it. Uh, but if You'd have dropped he... everyone for the Everton game, though. Yeah, I, I probably would have. Done, Play the but, kids. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's close to seeing his previous performances that he does need a bit of a rest because he's come back from two big injuries. And let's be honest, he's come after, back too quickly, maybe as well. You know, very early. 
That's what I was about to say. Sorry. In terms of the ankle injury, at the time it was reported mid-February, which is the Saturday's game against Wolves. So he's uh, back way ahead of schedule. But clearly he has been in a place to play because otherwise Spurs medical staff would have said, no, you're back too early. We can't risk it. And uh, is it a point now where he's just getting the minutes in the legs, uh, which has only gone to bode well for him going forward? But for me, I think he needs to be dropped down to the bench and say if Yves Basuma had a bit more time uh, back at Hotspur away prior to the Brighton game, then I think Basuma would have started. And I think we are going to see a bit more of Basuma starting over the coming weeks because the midfield three of Basuma, Saar and Madison at the start of the season was brilliant for Spurs, won them a number of games and we've not really seen the midfield click since then. Uh, so I think Benteke will drop down to the bench. And yeah, there was a couple of times when he was maybe caught on the ball against Brighton. As I said, I don't think he was helped on a couple of occasions with the passes to him. But I think it also needs to be pointed out he did have a role in the equaliser for Sarsgall. It was really good footwork from him in the middle of the pitch with a couple of Brighton players around him. Yes, he might have got a lucky ricochet but he managed to get through that plate to Kulaseski, who's then taken the touch and played it to Saar. And I think we've said it numerous times recently, you know, he's coming back from two big injuries. You know, he just needs time uh, to recapture his previous levels. Very rarely you're going to see someone come back from a cruciate ligament injury and then just be able to replicate his form from, you know, nine or 10 months ago. It doesn't happen. It's just about easing him back in and, yeah, I agree with you. Like Andrew's probably done with Brendan Johnson in the past two home games. Just give him a breather, get him to see the game from a different perspective and then give him some minutes towards the end. Yeah, I mean, despite Ange not believing in sixes or eights, um, I do feel like Benton Core is a better eight than he is a six. I don't think it quite... It, he's good in the role. And, uh, you know, I think he's that good a player that he can make it absolutely fine. But I still don't think it's his natural position. Whereas someone like Basuma, I think, sits in that really nicely and it kind of suits his play. Um, And, yeah, it's actually a nice little moment between Basuma and Bentoncourt as they came out for the second half. I was uh, watching, looking down from the press box. Basuma was kind of really, really talking to him quite passionately as they were coming out of the tunnel. It felt like a real pep talk kind of chat. Um, and as Bentoncourt went to the pitch and Basuma went to the dugout, he like shouted at him. He was properly kind of trying to G him up as well, which is lovely because, you know, essentially Bentoncourt is playing in his position. He's playing in his role. Yeah. So he could be competitive and like, you know, he could say, oh, you rubbish. <laughs> like, like really knock his confidence. And But I did think, and maybe that's what he saw, that in that first half, there were a few times when Bentoncourt's head really went down. You could see him quite kind of affected by it. He w- he wasn't moving kind of as uh, dynamically as he does, and yeah, his head was just really kind of looking at the floor. Really, just maybe he feels like he's not quite where he was, and, and which is entirely understandable. But so I thought that was quite a nice sort of moment, geeing him up, and he definitely was better in the second half. Um, I'm not saying you know Basuma's the mastermind that that did it. I'm sure it's a lot of Bentaco's own work, but like you say, involved in the goal, um, and he was getting better as the half wore on, but. Yeah, I kind of feel like if we see Basuma, Saar and Madison next week against Wolves, it kind of makes sense. And that was the midfield trio that was so good for the start, whole start of the season. So, yeah, I, I think uh, Bentacur just, just feeling his way back into the game and not feeling pressured that he has to start every match at this moment while he's still trying to rediscover his form isn't the worst thing in the world. I think Basuma and Bentacur are probably in a similar position at the moment, whereas both need minutes because Basuma's participation at AFCON was extremely bit part really had a bit part role to play for Mali given everything what happened then he's had a four match ban uh, for Spurs and his form wasn't exactly brilliant before that so yeah I think they're both in the position where they just need to be getting the minutes under the belt but I think Ange might be edging a bit more towards Basuma for the Wolves game on Saturday. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see. Right, halfway through the pod, Ali, do you want to let everyone know about the benefits of using NordVPN? 
Of course, of course. The Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN. Do you know what? I really like the fact that, you know, it, it could be just this really obvious thing that we, you know, podcasts have adverts, they have sponsors, they have stuff like that. But you and I both get so many messages from people saying that they signed up for NordVPN because they've heard us talking about it. And actually, it's really worked for them. You know, they've had their, they've got off on holidays or they've used it for work or whatever they've used it for. And they're like, we actually get people thanking us for that. It's like, that's very nice. We'd like them to thank us for the podcast and the things we're doing and talking about about Spurs. But it's quite interesting, which people do, to be fair. But it's just quite nice that it doesn't feel like the kind of normal podcast sponsor relationship you get where people are just kind of reading our stuff and things like that we actually get nice feedback from people kind of saying that it works for them and i think that's that's important for us as well because we want to be able to talk about things that that kind of we believe in ourselves and clearly other people believe in them too so that is great to hear and, and you know it goes without saying but i will that nordvpn is the fastest vpn in the world and that means there's no buffering no lagging and you can stream your favorite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling People will hear me saying that each week because it is something that I've done so many times with the service. I've used it on holidays. I've used it while I've been covering Spurs abroad to be able to, whether it's uh, set my device to being in a different country and you know being able to watch shows that I would watch at home that you could normally can't on holiday because you have to you know be on their restrictions that come with their country, but you can set your device to thinking it's back in the UK. And not only that, but the outlay on a NordVPN subscription is cheaper for you in the long run because you could purchase, I don't know, flights or something like that from another country rather than booking them as if you're in the UK. And that can make it cheaper for you in the long run as well. So you are paying out for your NordVPN subscription, but you're saving money over time as well. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's a whole host of other benefits I could go into. There's a security aspect of it as well. If you're using public Wi-Fi, it can help you with that. So, you know, why not give it a go? Like I say, people have told us it works. So to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support our podcast in doing so, which is great for us as well. Um, and the link, if you want it, if you didn't get it after me just saying it, it is also in the episode description box with this podcast. Right. We've just discussed Rodrigo Benteke's uh, performance. He made way after 62 minutes against Brighton, one of the players who came on. Son Heung-min, fair to say, Spurs have missed Sonny over the past month or so. And when you want someone to stand up in the big moments, he did exactly that. Ange Postacoglu, you know, waxing lyrical about him after the game, made it clear that the ball might look a bit simple uh, for the one he played the cross goal for Brendan Johnson, but that's what world-class players do. I think they make those moments uh, look simple and it was on about the big, big players delivering in those clutch moments and Son did that. It was a fantastic ball and I think that's exactly what he wanted, especially after such a disappointing end to the Asian Cup uh, for him with South Korea. Yeah, I mean, you said that Spurs miss Son, and I absolutely agree. But I also think Son's miss Spurs. I do. I think it's been such a difficult time for him with Korea, and and obviously South Korea's involvement in the Asian Cup, and there's question marks over the team, Klinsman, the way they played. I don't think there's been any question marks over Sonny, to be fair. I think he's led them as a captain, and he, I think he got three goals and assists as well in the tournament, um, you know, just like he always does, trying to... He just takes the the weight of the burden, I guess, of expectation on his shoulders when he's playing for Korea. Where maybe when he plays for Spurs, there's a little bit more kind of sharing out of that. And that's not to say South Korea don't have some terrific players as well as him, but you feel like he is the figurehead. He is the man that everyone looks to. Um, so I do think coming back to Spurs, it's probably be it is a bit like ah kind of thing. You could just relax that little bit more. Although you know. He's obviously the captain of Spurs. He's got a big role to play as this season goes on. But yeah, I, I do feel like it, it's it's a very kind of um, kind of taxing time for him sometimes when he's on international duty because there's so much um, focus on him and, and what he does. And and to be honest, he came on and I think Postecoglou said afterwards, if I remember correctly, that he could have started him if they'd really wanted to, but he just felt like there was. It was too soon. You know, he'd only played on Monday night. He'd had a long flight. 
Got back to England, I think, late on Wednesday. Thursday, had a recovery session at Hotspur Way. So he only really had a training session before the game on the Friday. And that wouldn't have been an intense one because it's the pre-match training session. So he hasn't really, you know, hadn't done much at all. So it did make sense to use him late in the game. And, you know, what a sub to be able to bring on. It took him a little while to kind of make an impact, um, as it did for all the subs. But my goodness, when it came, it really did. And, uh, yeah, I think it was what he needed. It's been a difficult time for him uh, to come straight back and win an assist. And it was a real kind of captain's role, wasn't it? It was just providing a goal for a player in Brennan Johnson who we'll chat about in a moment that needed it, really needed that kind of um, the perfect ball as well. Because, you know, Brennan Johnson misses that late chance. If the ball isn't as perfect as it was, it creates problems for Brennan Johnson more than it does for Sonny. Um and yeah, he was there for him. And you could see what it meant to him. He like roared afterwards, um, Sonny, uh, as soon as that ball went in the net. It was like almost an outpouring of every frustration he's had in the last couple of weeks. Um, and he did obviously interviews afterwards where he spoke about how difficult it's been um, coming back after. And you know how Sonny's like. He kind of felt like he let his country down despite the fact that he really hadn't. Um, and he's just a, a very uh, emotional guy um, and just a brilliant player. And it was interesting. Postacoglu made a point about him afterwards. He was asked about, you know, whether he's seen as being world-class by everyone. And he made a point, I think maybe was taken slightly in the wrong spirit back in South Korea from what I've seen from kind of social media. He said uh, that, you know, he said maybe the nation who he plays who plays for plays a part in him not being seen as world-class. And I think people took that as a pop at the Korean FA, as Klinsman and everything, because there is a lot of frustration right now in Korea about, despite the fact they got to the semifinals, about the way that they played. And I think in that semifinal, didn't even have a shot at goal or, or on target. Um, but I think what he meant more than anything, and this has been said about players from other countries as well, that, maybe only the players that come from like a football powerhouse of a country that has claimed World Cups after World Cups, the likes of Brazil, Argentina, Spain, Italy, maybe. Their players can be seen as world-class, but sometimes players from other countries who aren't going to be constantly winning international trophies, maybe they don't get that same respect. And I think that comes back to Postacoglu himself. I think that's something within himself as an Australian. He feels that he's never been given that full respect that he deserves for all the trophies he's won over his career. So I think that's more what he was saying, that South Korea, while got a lot of talented players and they've won trophies in the past, they're not a, you know, a World Cup challenger each year, uh, each time that comes around. Um, and, and it doesn't have one of the biggest leagues, because I think England benefits from that. I think English players can be seen as world-class because of the Premier League and the power that that has in the game. Whereas I think, so I think that's what he was trying to say. But um, yeah, Sonny's just a remarkable player. And as Postacoglu said, having a world-class player back for the final run-in is huge for Spurs. Um, and he's going to, I mean, what's he got now? He's got 18 goal contributions in 21 matches in the Premier League. Uh, 12 goals, six assists. I wouldn't bet against him having 30 goal involvements by the end of this season. I wouldn't put it past him. 12 in the next, was it 14? I think he could do that. If he gets a couple of like braces in a few goal uh, games or a couple of assists, yeah, I think he could be up there. I think he'll I think he'll get to 20 goals for the season as well. Um yeah, terrific player. Just loves Sonny. Everyone loves Sonny. Don't they? He's just just his whole character is infectious around the club as well. Yeah, well, rewind the clock back two years ago when Spurs were in Champions League contention, the amount of goals Son scored in that running because he'd yeah. just come from nowhere to win the Premier League Golden Boot. I think everyone thought yeah. it was going to be Salah uh, winning it. So, you know, he's a big player for the big moments and you certainly won't point past him contributing some big, big goals for Spurs uh, in the running because I think they're certainly going to need it with Villa uh, on the tails. Spurs are a million miles off, you know, Liverpool, City and Arsenal either. Uh, we will talk about that in a bit because there's been some interesting comments, uh, let's say. But in terms of Spurs, it was just great to see Brendan Johnson scoring uh, the winner. Uh Second successive game, he's been on the score sheet at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. 
it's been a frustrating start to his Spurs career for someone who's cost you know near enough fifty million. I think a lot of fans probably expected him to be on it right from the go and contributing for Spurs as he had done you know countless times uh, in his few seasons at Nottingham Forest in the first team and really really good for him. Hopefully, it does give him that confidence boost uh, going into the next few weeks. And I'm sure what probably was frustrating for him was playing so well in those 45 minutes against Brentford and then struggling the following week against Everton. Hopefully this moment against Brighton lifts his confidence up. I'd have liked to have seen him celebrate a bit more. I mean, last-minute winner. Sure, obviously it was Bedlam inside Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and there's nothing better than the last-minute winner in football, but obviously just playing it cool. Uh, but the Spurs players certainly surrounded him pretty quickly. Rather Dragerson, yeah. who was uh, on new substitute on the day, he ran uh, half the length of the pitch to join in those celebrations. And Pat Matasar, who was certainly tiring uh, towards uh, the final few minutes of his game time, he still had enough energy in the tank as well to make the run. And the celebrations uh, were brilliant, really, really good. And like I said, hopefully it just does give Johnson an extra boost in confidence. Yeah, celebrations were mad. You had... A doggy with an ice pack on his knee ran up the pitch as well. Uh, the Dragashin thing was lovely. That, for me, shows a player who, you know, might have thought he'd come into the club and, and play as much as he had at Genoa, but he hasn't yet um, because of those kind of other players in the role. But it just shows how already kind of part of the club he feels, that he can do that, that sprint up there uh, to be part of it all. And, yeah. Um, who were the other ones that I noticed as well? Hoybier did that kind of weird, like he was almost doing a knee slide that didn't quite, and it ended up looking like he was proposing in front of him. But I like that. Um, Vicario did a knee slide in his own box. Uh, Madison was just so shattered he fell to the floor on his knees, platoon style. Johnson, to be fair, said afterwards that he was just so kind of knackered, like by the run, that he was like, Oh, I didn't even know I had to celebrate. And he ended up doing. Um, apparently it's a hand kind of gesture that the wrestler Jeff Hardy does. Um, Brighton fans took it as him having a pop at Jao Pedro, who did similar when he scored at the Amex against Spurs. But <clears throat> apparently Jeff Hardy is his favourite wrestler, so it was just like a little nod to him. But yeah, he was. it made him kind of look very cool and calm and collected. And And look, maybe it is also a little part of what he's had to go through in recent weeks. It is, you know, the uh, people haven't been particularly pleasant to him. Let's let's be honest. You know, he's had to limit the comments on his Instagram posts. He's, you can't now comment on Brennan Johnson's Instagram posts unless he follows you, just because of the abuse he was getting. And you know, people have. I'm not going to turn it into a long rant because people have heard me go off about abusing young players or any players. Let's be honest, but especially young players on social media. I don't understand where the benefit lies in that. I don't get it. I feel like it's it says more about the people doing it than the person that they're trying to abuse. Um, and when you're 22 years old, do you think that G's them up? <laughs> do you think that's a good thing? Oh, oh, they'll love the fact that I'm calling them every name under the sun and, and whatever. No, it, it hits them. It, it kind of impacts them and... And he has admitted himself his form dropped and he struggled a little bit. And, and everyone just forgets for a moment that, yeah, he came with a big fee, but he's 22 years old. That fee really was for the potential and the long term and what he can do for this club over the years to come. He's got all of the, the kind of the makeup to be something special, but he's got to learn how to use it. And that's what Postacoglu and Ryan Mason are both working on him. You know, that goal was born of the work he's done with Postacoglu and Mason on the training pitch and getting him at that back post for every cross. That's exactly what they've been doing with him. He, uh, yeah, he's got incredible pace, but I do think, I still think the hamstring injury against Arsenal has made him doubt his hamstring slightly. I still don't think he flies at defenders quite as much as he's capable of doing and was doing for Forrest. Um, yeah, there's, there's so much more to come from him. And, I do think he also suffered from being a little bit out of form and low in confidence, but having to play through it because they had no one else. I think that's a big thing. I don't think it's any shocking coincidence 
that Postacoglu in these last two home games has taken him out of the action, let him see the, the game from a different perspective, and then brought him in in the second half and said, right, you've seen what we need, go do it. Shock horror, he scored two goals. He scored a goal in both of those appearances. Um, whereas before, when he was just kind of getting run into the ground, despite not playing or feeling at his best, yeah, he wasn't able to do that. So, I mean, he's still got, I think I looked at it, four goal involvements in his last seven games in the Premier League. That, that's absolutely fine. That's great for a young player who's kind of adapting to a very different club, very different system, a big step up with the extra pressure that brings. That's fine. I feel like a bit like with Benton Curl, but for differing reasons. I think next season you'll see the best of Brennan Johnson as he, you know, he hasn't even had a preseason with Spurs. He hasn't been indoctrinated into the entire Postacoglu way yet. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd, it's a bit like, you know, when we're laughing at people saying Benton has finished, I've seen people saying that ben, uh, Johnson should be sold already. It's like, what are you talking about? He's 22 years old. You've got to cut him a little bit of slack because of his age. But when you say that, you, you get people saying, yeah, but look at a doggy, look at Saar, look at Van der Ven. That's great. Thanks. Thanks for, thanks for pointing out three young players who are also incredibly talented who just happen to have adapted. That's not the norm. That just is a, a very special kind of thing about those players that they've able to do that. You know, most other young players take a bit of time. They're all at different stages of their developments and journeys. I've just realized this has turned into a rant, so we just said <laughs> I wasn't going to do. Um, but yeah, it just winds me up. It's probably one of the things that winds me up the most about football fandom. It's the It's the knocking of young players when they're so far from being the fully formed product. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to step away from the rant now because I'm going to just make myself angry and angrier. But, yeah, big moment for Brennan Johnson. Hope he takes a real confidence boost from it. Um, and I'm pretty sure he'll still have plenty more goal involvements to come over the rest of this season. Yeah, right. You might want uh, another rant now because we're going to move <laughs> on to uh, top four talk. Uh, yeah. Spurs... Are in fourth after this round of games, helped out by Manchester United getting a late 2 1 win over Aston Villa at Villa Park on Sunday evening. Gary Neville, he was in the Sky Sports studio after the game. And basically, he was mentioning about Villa and Spurs in this battle for Champions League football. Manchester United have come into the equation now, three successive wins. Then they're only six points off Spurs. Neville was saying, uh, from a Spurs perspective, they were the preferred Villa to win rather than Manchester United. Thoughts on that? Who did Gary Neville used to play for? I, I sometimes forget. <laughs> Manchester United, apparently. Oh, that's, yeah, Manchester. that's all he talks about. <laughs> I, I, I heard that. I was watching the game and I was just like, what? Like, where has that come from? Why in any world... Would Spurs have preferred to drop out of the top four to enable Man United to lose a game? Oh, it was, my my whole thought was right from the start was that I think you know Spurs need United to win this. I, I never in my I, look this could go completely wrong, and United may go on a run, um, and they may end up kind of finding a way back into the top four. But for me, if you're the team in fourth place, you don't want the team that could leapfrog you to win their game. That just makes no sense. And what I would say about United, they are just as capable of losing a load of games as they are winning in, this, in the fixtures ahead. Because, you know, before yesterday's game um, at Villa Park, Spurs had scored 20 more goals than United this season. I mean, that's ridiculous. That just shows how much they struggle to score goals, United. I think they'd got 31 and Spurs had 51 goals scored. Obviously, they got another couple yesterday. But yeah, I, I don't think, and this is very much will be the Postacoglu way, they shouldn't fear anyone. They shouldn't worry about a team in sixth who started the weekend six points behind them. And now are still six points behind them, being like the thing they should be worried about. This no, be worried about Villa. Villa are having a terrific season. Villa are playing really well, and Villa can beat anyone on their day. They were unfortunate. I felt yesterday they had a lot of opportunities to kind of put that game to bed, which they didn't. Um, so no, I. If you ask me right now, right now, who I'm more worried about, it would be Villa than Man United in the top four. 
that may change as the weeks go on. If if United can get a run, have they won? Is it three in a row? They've won three on the bounce in the Premier three League. Late winner at Wolves, three nil against West Ham, and then yesterday at Villa. Yeah, yeah. So they they they're absolutely on a nice little bit of form. But you know, Spurs haven't lost many games in recent months. Spurs have only lost five out of the what is it the twenty four matches they've played in the Premier League. You know, this isn't some struggling for confidence team that we're talking about um and i'm sure spurs are looking up rather than down you know they would have wanted arsenal to not absolutely obliterate west ham they would have been kind of thinking of catching arsenal i don't think they're looking behind them at the team in sixth um i just thought that was a really weird comment and it's like isn't it funny how you can look at spurs united being still in exactly the same position behind the spurs that they were in terms of being six points behind yet suddenly a top four contenders after that result, whereas Spurs started the weekend seven points behind Liverpool and finished it seven points behind Liverpool. But no one's talking about Spurs being in the title race. You know, it's just, apart from the supercomputer that gave them a 0.011% chance of uh, of winning the title, which I don't think I've seen Postacoglu as tickled by anything in a press conference as he was by the thought of a supercomputer. He loved that idea. Um, even said he kind of came back to it, did a callback at the end of the press conference saying, you know, hey, we're not out of it until the supercomputer tells us so, so we're going to keep on playing this season. I loved it. It was so good. Um, but yeah, I found that all very strange. I mean, I'll put you on the spot now. Where does Spurs finish at the end of this season? Below Manchester United now. <laughs> Below Manchester United. <laughs> uh, <laughs> play clips of this, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think they'll be playing in the Champions League next season. Uh, where they're finishing the table, I don't know. I think they'll be top four, uh, but there could be in the, there could be a situation, you know, come May where fifth ends up getting the Champions League place as well, yeah. uh, because of the changes what are taking uh, place next year. Now, I think Spurs will be top four, and let's be honest. A couple of weeks ago, no one was really touting Manchester United for a Champions League finish. I think everyone thought it's five teams battling for four places. And from a Tottenham perspective, I agree with you. You're looking up the table. Spurs have been mentioned potentially in title race. You're looking at Liverpool, Arsenal, Man City and Villa. Ahead of, you know, the game, uh, Villa Piesi, United were nine points behind Spurs. Why on earth are you looking behind you? You want them to progress as a club. You're looking ahead. I, I don't get that. And let's be honest as well. Villa could have won that game. I thought once Douglas Louise equalised, Villa would have gone on to win. And then what's Gary Neville gone to say in the studio? It'll just be the usual rubbish about United when they lose. The culture's all wrong. The team's not good enough. There'll be questions it about Eric... yo-yo, doesn't it? Yeah, there'll be questions about Eric Ten Hag, but it's always the same with United. When they'll get, what, two, three wins on the bounce, it's like United are back. But there's been so many false dawns at Old Trafford since Fergie left. And as he'd mentioned, United could quite easily go and lose the next game away at Luton. They're just not consistent. But credit to them, they've got three very good results uh, in the past three games, especially the one at Villa Park. They might fancy the chances of Champions League football, but it's all going to come down to consistency, which is something what's just not happened for them over the course of this season and the back end of last season as well. I think they've got themselves into a really, really good position come like January, February, and then league form just totally dipped in the end, but from a Tottenham perspective, you're just looking up, not behind you. Yeah, and, and look, it absolutely was a good result from yesterday. It yeah, was yeah. against one of the t- the league's kind of form teams. They went away and got a good result, but it was also a good result for Spurs. It was, and the Spurs, you know, very much on paper because anything could still go wrong in the next couple of weeks, but Spurs have just won what, yeah, on paper would be the toughest of these three home games in a row they've got kind of in the weeks ahead. So, you know, you then got Wolves and Palace and, of course, both teams capable of, of doing something at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Wolves certainly have, have caused Spurs problems there in the past. But if Spurs can pick up a run of wins at home, 
you know, they're not even looking anywhere near behind them. You know, they, they will have created a gap behind them, I think. Um, I think that's all that United have done, really, at this point. I think Because that's why I think it's premature. It's, all they've done is really stop themselves being cast utterly adrift. Um, they may go on a run and they may kind of uh, close that gap a little bit. But right now, yeah, I think I predicted pre-season third for Spurs. <sighs> I may be hovering around fourth now, only because, annoyingly for Spurs, of course, Arsenal just feel like they're they're in a groove and they're not letting games get past them at the moment. Um, They're kind of doing what they need to do. Um, And then, yeah, going to West Ham, who were just abysmal as that first half especially went on uh, and and getting six goals, that's a big kind of statement win for them. Um, Obviously, you know, for some of these clubs at the top, the European football returns, and that's going to play its part as well. Just at a time when Spurs have got their strongest squad available for them, I think that's going to be an interesting part to play in what's to come. Uh, United in Europe still in any form? No, I think the finished bottom of the Champions League groups are there. Of course, completely out. Okay, so so they're they'll be in a position where they'll feel that they can put everything into these remaining games as well. But yeah, I still feel like uh, Spurs are well placed for a good run in, um, and that squad wise, adapting to what Postecoglou's asked of them, they'll they'll be stronger and stronger for knowing more about his demands. And uh, yeah, I, I did that. I did have a little bit of a chuckle at that. It, it just kind of it did feel very much like the whole man, you're a huge club, let's build them up thing. Um, and you know, like we said. The, 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 They've got enough young, talented players there to do something. And they've got enough players who know what to do in big moments to do something. But I just felt it was very premature to kind of go along those lines for me. Yep. I'm sure we'll come back to this podcast in late May when <laughs> Manchester worry, United we will. <laughs> have won the Premier League. <laughs> exactly. Incredible. Won every game for the remainder of the season. <laughs> But Spurs now, a couple of home games on the agenda. You'd fancy them to beat Wolves and Palace. If they can get that momentum going, then they're going into an away game at Aston Villa uh, after the Crystal Palace game. And I think Villa have Fulham away next, which is a bit of a tricky one. Fulham are decent at home, and then the, I think it's Luton away for them as well. So potentially could be some drop points there. And I think... Villa are going to be in European action at some point, yep. whether or not it's this month, it'll be early March, uh, if not in February. So, yeah, all Tottenham can do, just concentrate on yourselves, just keep looking at those teams ahead of you, don't bother looking behind you. Uh, and then, yeah, just keep getting those wins and we'll see where Spurs finish come the end of the season. I'm just looking at Villa's games. Are they, are they definitely still in Europe? Oh, that might yeah, only be Premier. yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, that's only Premier League matches I'm looking at. That's why uh, they play on. I've got it here somewhere. No, I haven't. Why is I'm not getting them? Ah, oh, they must be. I must be just looking at Premier League games. But uh, yeah, I think yeah, for I Villa in the Conference League, I think they won the group, and I think it's a case of who finished second or third in the Conference League played those dropping down from the Europa League. So there's like a preliminary knockout round game in February uh, and then Villa will be in the draw for the March fixtures. I think that'll like be that. it. Thank you for bringing logic to this. Yes, that'll be exactly why it's not in their fixture list. Uh, and we're still talking to fixture list. We'll still wait to see when the Spurs uh, game at Chelsea is going to be. I mean, it hasn't actually been postponed yet, has it? It still sits no. within the fixture schedule, which is a bit weird, bearing in mind, was it two days later they're playing in the Carabao Cup final, Chelsea? Um, yeah, well, Liverpool, I think their game for the Carabao Cup final weekend has been brought forward. I think they're playing that like the Tuesday or the Wednesday night now. But there's still mm-hmm. nothing with the Chelsea-Tottenham one. I did the piece on it a few weeks ago. I think there's only two three uh, midweek slots in the calendar. I think there's one between Tottenham's games against Arsenal and Man City and then between the penultimate game and the final game of the season because what happens is there's a lot 
three midweek slots for Tottenham and Chelsea because they're not in European action. But UEFA don't really want Premier League games taking place on the same yeah. day as any UEFA competition because that means all eyes are then off their uh, competitions. So, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. I reckon it'll be between the Arsenal and Man City game in April. Crikey, that, um, <laughs> that that just makes that run just even worse. Because yeah. yeah, I mean, there were some suggestions that it might be like sooner than that. But I mean, how much notice can you give? You know, you can't just like dump it on the fans suddenly and say, "Oh, by the way, now it's going to be that day." Although you know, with the way sometimes these fixtures are arranged uh, and the ridiculous kickoff times and days, you never know. But uh, yeah, it would be nice to kind of get that in the diary and, and see. Uh, what time the uh, the next uh, Pochettino Postacoglu clash comes? Yeah, right. We'll leave that for today's latest episode of Golden Guest Tot Tottenham. As ever, thank you for listening, and just keep with us at Football London for all your latest Tottenham news. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee and you'll help support our podcast. The link is in the episode description box.